What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Build or buy? That is a question that has plagued technologists for decades. Today's episode is from our live stream dedicated to that very topic. On this episode, we have two titans of technology. We have Slavik Markovic. Uh, he is the CEO and co-founder of Dscope. And we also have Rob Fry, co-founder and CTO of AKA Identity. Let's get ready for this masterclass, exploring this puzzle of Bill versus buy. Let's jump right in. Who says tech can't be human? Today, we have something really, really special for everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are going to talk today about one of the biggest conundrums in technology, and that is build versus buy. I'm Chris Cochran, and I'm going to be hosting this discussion around that timeless question of build versus buy. Tech leaders around the world have always weighed the options of building or buying a solution to a problem that they have. And today we brought two of the greats to talk about this discussion. Has anyone heard of Dscope? Uh, Dscope is one of those uh, companies that are off to the races. It's a service that helps developers build frictionless authentication and user journeys for any application. And we brought in the co-founder Slavik Markovic on board to talk about it. Uh, Slavik is the CEO and co-founder of Dscope. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's passionate about solving hard technology problems. Before Dscope, Slavik was the co-founder and CEO of Demisto, which was acquired by Palo Alto Networks. And even before that, he was the senior VP of products uh, for McAfee. So with that, welcome Slavik to the live stream. Good morning and uh, good evening and uh, good afternoon, I guess, to everyone. And uh, Chris, thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely. We couldn't have this discussion without you. And thank you so much for even sponsoring this particular live stream for everyone to enjoy. And we had to bring in somebody old school. We had to bring in a technologist of technologists, Rob Fry. He is one of the brilliant minds behind AKA Identity. Rob is one of those people that is best known for the cloud security team at Netflix. He was a leader uh, from a data, data center operations perspective at AWS. Uh, while he was at Netflix, he did so many things. He generated patents. He integrated technology into the business, working with VCs. And even before Netflix, he was a principal architect at Yahoo where he created configuration automation frameworks and production environments. And this is just a small sampling of Rob and his background. Rob, welcome to the live stream. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's going to be fun to be here. Uh, get to cross off the bucket list item of being in Hacker Valley studio with uh, with Chris and Ron and, and to be able to do it with Slavic, who I met many, many years ago. This is going to be a good time, so I appreciate being here. So without further ado, let's get right into the topic at hand. Slavic, this question's for you. I want you to recount a memorable project where you had to decide between building or buying a solution. What were the stakes and what went into that decision logic for you? Uh, sure, sure. Happy to do that. So in my previous startup in uh, Demisto, uh, which you mentioned was sold to Palo Alto Networks in 2019, uh, we built a security orchestration and automation uh, framework or, and tool. 
And so one of the features that we really needed to build was a high availability and live backup. And now this is a painful topic for me because we decided in, you know, in our, uh, you know, smartness that we're actually going to build it ourselves. And we implemented the full kind of live backup and streaming of transactions to a, to a standby database and everything fully by ourselves. And that was a big lesson learned for me because it didn't work well. We had to pretty much touch it every, uh, every release. And most customers did not use it. We invested a huge amount. And funnily enough, it was not a core functionality of our product. It was just infrastructure capability. And this is a great example of a mistaken like decision where we decided to uh, actually build something instead of just using or buying something off the shelf, which probably would have been much better. Mm. There's a lot to, to really think about in that build versus buy conundrum, because you, you think, you know, do you have time? Do you have money? Do you have ideas? And that all goes into the decision logic. Rob, what about you? What has been that big, memorable bill versus buy conundrum for your for you and your career? Well, oh, there have been so many. I think probably the first one when it, when uh, I was at Yahoo, uh, there was an opportunity to actually buy, and I, I found a vendor. I went to an architecture review committee, and they shot me down and said no. And it was like, wait, like we're gonna have to build this ourselves and it's gonna have all these challenges. Now me personally, I'm a builder. Like I actually like to build things, but in this particular scenario, you're talking about massive global scale and it's just like kind of the Slavic's point, right? Like there's certain things that other people can do better than you, you should let them do that. Uh, but you know, we went through, we did it. I mean, I think I wrote 30,000 lines of code in a month. That's probably the only time I ever did that in my entire life. But uh, it also kind of kicked off, especially going into something like a Netflix where we had to build everything. And we had to build it because uh, th there were no solutions. We were something that was just so bleeding edge. But over time, that started to change where VCs and startups and, and industry started to catch up. And I, I would say if I was at, back at Netflix right now, like I, I'd, I'd challenge that the, probably the paradigm shift is probably – already happened where if there's a solution go buy it um, because we don't have to build everything anymore like we've already done it and, and an industry can help us now so it's it's definitely interesting and challenging and each situation is unique but uh um i know from from my own personal background uh, i don't mind building things it's actually a lot of fun yeah obviously you and i both come from netflix where uh build is kind of the first thought, right, in some instances, uh, where we really want to leverage our own internal engineering prowess to build something that we think we could use because there's benefits to building our own thing. We build it specifically for us, our technology, our processes, and our people. When it comes to build versus buy, what are some of the decision logic that you go through, Rob, uh, when it comes to saying, hey, here's a problem that we need to solve. Do we build it or buy it? Yeah, I think for me, at the places I've been, the very first one is is scale. I mean, I think there's a lot of products out there uh, for for certain companies that just they just don't scale well. And the larger, the more more complex, the more bleeding edge you are, your your ability to actually get something off the shelf is is usually uh, pretty low. Uh, even if you do buy something that does have a purpose, you're usually creating all sorts of uh, abstractions and layering stuff on top of it in order to make it do something that you actually want it to do. Um, but in a lot of times in those situations, our, our, our requirements are also unique. And so, um, you know, our, our desire as a company, our culture, and then uh, also the capability of our people 
I mean, all those types of things went in and, and, you know, for us, for a lot of different things, we, we built it and then, you know, Netflix continues to open source a lot of the things that they build. And, and so that was, that was the right motive, but I could see the opposite side of it too in, in certain situations. Got it. What about you, Slavic? What goes into the decision, whether you're talking as a leader in an organization or all the way through building your own applications, uh, where does the decision logic come in for you when it comes to build versus buy? What are some of your tenants and thoughts? Yeah, so the decision is usually, is it our core competency? Is it something that we really need for the product? Is it a unique advantage for us to fully control the, the entire you know, solution and the entire architecture? And do we have the people? And they, there's a lot of times you go to engineers, and this is, you know, I'm an engineer, right? So a lot of times you go to engineers and ask them, well, how much will it cost to buy, uh, to build that? And the answer is, oh, I can build it in like three months or I can build it in like two months and, 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 and so on. And you say, okay, so two months versus like, I don't know, 100K or something like that. And uh, yeah, let's build it. And that's a really wrong way of looking at it. Like, do you have the competency and the core skills to build it? And how much will it cost to maintain it over time? Right. So you build it, but then, you know, you have people leaving, people, uh, you know, joining, you need to train them. They need to maintain the solution forever. Right. Because you build it. There's no support from external company. And so the total cost is uh, you, you need to kind of think about it over the lifetime of the of the solution that you're, uh, you know, building. And so for me, unless this is like really core and a huge advantage for your company, I would always lean towards the buy, even though I'm a builder myself and I like to build stuff, but uh, you have to think long term. And that is where uh, things completely, like, like the equation completely changes, right? If, if you know, if you think long term, you know, the, the cost is, uh, is just, you know, much bigger in, in, in uh, building it. And this is a perfect segue to uh, my next question, because, yeah, if you're thinking long term, it's going to put you in a better position. But sometimes we think very short term. Think about right now. What are the resources we have right now? What are our needs right now? I'd love to hear from both of you a horror story, either on the build or the buy side, where you had these uh, rose colored glasses on for a particular decision and you get to the meat of the matter, and it's a nightmare. Uh, let's start with you, Rob. What's one of those situations where you've had you've made a decision to build or buy, and it just didn't work out? Obviously, you don't have to put any uh, vendors under the bus in the situation, but uh, tell us a story that where you've made a decision and it didn't shake out how you'd hoped. No, I, I'll, I'll tell you that that decision that I mentioned that Yahoo earlier did not work out the way that they intended, and it kind of comes down to the. Um, uh, when you can build for one company, you have unique capabilities um, to do so, but you have a small team that's solving one problem for one company. And then, you know, those that person or those people leave and you're you're in a lurch. And so building in those scenarios where you're not actually willing to dedicate them time and the resources and the ability to, to backfill when, when people leave is, is hard. But on the flip side, on the, on the buy side, I, I've I've evaluated products before and implemented them and, and they failed. And they fail because there's just things that you can't anticipate or the company gets acquired. I mean, there's all these you know, challenges on that side as well. So it's a, it's definitely a challenging conundrum. Um, I, I still think in most situations for the things that I do, you know, if you look at my background, like build is usually 
um, the preference. But buy is not, you know, the void of any type of risk. It has a lot of different types of risk for sure. Absolutely. What about you, Slavic? What's one of those stories where you had, you thought you had it in the bag, you made the right decision, but when you got to that other side of that bang, you realized that this is not going to be as nice as I thought it was going to be. Right. So uh, almost every infrastructure feature that I ever built, you you eventually kind of suffer uh, through through that because you know when you start, it's so great, like you build like cool stuff. You know, what can be better than that? And then uh, when, when you have to maintain and fix the bugs and understand that it's not scaling and it's not as secure. So I'll give you a concrete example, which is kind of near and dear to my heart because that's what we're solving here in uh, Dscope. So in my uh, previous uh, startup in uh, Demisto, we actually built our own uh, authentication and authorization, the, the entire identity management. And when we started, it was, uh, you know, pretty simple. What can be more simple than just putting in a username password and just using the, like some open source library to validate that, right? So to make sure that the password uh, is uh, correct. So you kind of start with that and you say, yeah, yeah I, I can implement it probably in one sprint, super easy. And then uh, you encounter customers and they say, no, we have password complexity requirements. Right, you have to have password history and at least like twelve characters and different uh, types of characters, and you, then you say, okay, you know what? It's not that hard to implement. I'll probably add it easy. And then they say, oh, it needs to connect to my Active Directory. It needs to support SAML. It needs to be updated completely using Scheme. It needs to have like uh, OIDC support, and. Pretty soon we found ourselves like with a dedicated engineer just handling this entire thing like forever. And they, pretty much until we were acquired by Palo Alto Networks, we just played with the authentication and authorization. And the other thing that you kind of want to really think hard about is that security is like a really tough thing to build by yourself because the potential for damage is really big, right? So nobody wants to build his own encryption. Nobody wants to build his own authentication authorization because if you make a mistake there, that is like leaving your uh, product wide open for and, and, and can have like huge repercussions for your entire company. And so this is why eventually after leaving, uh, you know, uh, Palo Alto Networks, we decided to kind of focus on identity and uh, security uh, for our customers because, you know, this is our, that, that's what we focus on. So that's our core competency. And so, yeah, uh, that's, so that's like a horror story that, uh, you know, it's the gift that kept on giving forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If you're thinking about security, there's a lot that can happen if you're if you don't, number one, get a second pair of eyes to check out what you're doing. Check your math, because if something fails, it could be pretty disastrous. Uh, one thing I got to bring up with you, Rob, is uh, AKI Identity, right? Just came out of stealth, uh, making some noise in the industry already. Uh, when it comes to the technology side, right, when we think about bring, we'll build or buy 
whether we think about services, we always think about people, process, and technology. So let's start on the technology side first. Uh, obviously, with something like AKI Identity, where you're trying to upend the identity space to begin with, you're having to think about other technologies, right? Whether you're uh, integrating with technology, working with other technology, or replacing other technologies. When it comes to technology, and you're thinking about building versus buy in the context of your own environment, what are some of the, the thoughts that you've had in the past about, hey, how do I make sure that the thing that we're building or buying is going to play nice in our environment? Yeah, that's uh, usually a long conversation, um, only because uh, the, the ability to gather those, I mean, you always think you know how something's going to go. Uh, but the, the the truth of the matter is, I mean, I was just listening to Slavic and I was sitting there going like, I need to figure out who this engineer was and make sure that he's happy and retired because um, I think a lot of us have gone through and made that mistake. And so for me, it's, uh, um, you know, what's the pain point, right? Like inside the identity space, um, there's a lot of acute problems, right? And they haven't necessarily always have been, uh, they haven't always been solved, right? I mean, it's specific to us. I think, you know, when I talk to, to my co-founder and the customers, I think more important for us is what's on the no list. I think you have to decide, like, you can't do everything. Something like encryption and authentication, it's a solved problem. They're going to do it better than you. Go go get it off the shelf and, and be done with it. But then, you know, when you start looking at the acute problems, especially, um, you know, around, you know, specifically identity, um, if you think of like a mid-market, a smaller scale, what you're, you're basically saying is, is uh, customers have to have a, a, a wide breadth of experience in order to be able to secure and build, and that's not true. When you go into the enterprise, you start to get into specialization. And so now the number of tools, the sprawl, the, the disconnectedness between those teams or those tooling starts to come in. And so when you're trying to build for that, what you're looking for is like, you know, kind of kind of what's the white space. And so what we've seen customers do, and it's probably something we'll end up doing, is you, you got to have kind of like a common format to put it in. And, and so like these, these recent things like a security data lake in order to at least be able to have a lot of that data in the same spot. Some customers can do that themselves, not all, but some, and that's a good use case. That's something that regardless of the vendors you have, that's your data, and putting it in a location that regardless if you have to swap vendors out or have to change your use cases, you can actually do that. So I, I love those use cases. And, and even for me, from, from my perspective, I want to figure out how to leverage those. Like, do you have identity data in there? I'm coming to get it. You got machine data in there, by the way, too, because that's important. I'll pull that out. Oh, by the way, I'm going to reprocess all this. Give me your schema. I'm gonna send it back down there for you too. And so then, from my perspective, where I'm where I'm at is like the the advantage of understanding all these different dynamics is when I have a conversation with a customer, I understand what their point pain points are, and I understand what they want to own versus what I should probably own for them. I know that I can do better. And so now now you can go and have a conversation with somebody uh, to kind of just check off the list of. Where is it shared responsibility? Where is it that they're responsible and where is it that we're responsible? Now, that helps them out a lot because you know they're in the situation of build versus buy. And we were talking with a major bank that 10 years ago put in the time, the effort, and the money to solve this problem. Well, we met them here recently, and they're just like, yeah, that was really great 10 years ago. It solved a lot of problems, but we have to redo it. And I was like, well, hold up here. like, Go solve some of those problems, which you absolutely is, is important for you to go solve. And I'll see you in a little bit because what's going to happen then is you're still going to have discombobulation. You're going to have disjointed. You're going to have data that's not normalized across systems. I'm really good at that. Let me come in and help you with that. And so you know, now you have that nice dichotomy of what do you not do? What is it that you can do? Who's responsible for what and who's good at what? And then now you can come back and have a much better conversation. You're still going to have 
that shit crazy stuff happen that you can't predict that nobody can. Um, but I think that's a that's a better outcome for everybody in the end. You bring up a great point about the data, right? Because we can talk about building and buying solutions all day, but it's the ownership of data, it's the organization of data, and it's being able to utilize data that really is important at the end of the day. From a data perspective, what are some thoughts that you would have for people thinking about bringing on a solution to help solve a problem, whether it's trying to analyze, whether it's to make decisions, whether it's to take actions. When it comes to data, what are some thoughts or philosophies that you would recommend for people wanting to leverage their own data and maybe they don't have access to that data today? It, it's, uh, it reminds me of, of when, when I was at Netflix and we started hiring uh, hardcore software engineers and data scientists. And technology changes, the environment changes, and you have to think differently from like a, a hiring perspective. Um, and so I would tell people like, because data is so valuable right now, and we're talking about data lakes and what the value is, is I would actually start telling people to consider hiring, uh, uh, data engineers, hire, hire these people that have that expertise, because even if I come in and solve a lot of your problems, um, you're still going to want somebody on site that can, that can help with that, that can understand that. I think data analysts or, or data scientists are equally valuable. Um, if you look at the security problem, I mean, it's a big data problem. And when I compare it to like production engineering for companies that are not security, and I look at the number of data sources they have and the complexity of that data, it doesn't even touch necessarily the number of data sources and the complexity of data in security space. And yet mm -hmm. security doesn't hire data engineers and data scientists and data administrators. Um, they usually want to want to partner with those guys. And those guys have completely different priorities around you know helping the business and you're trying to protect it. And so the, the priorities are kind of out of whack. So I think from that perspective, I think the other thing is uh, is understand what the value is of, of the data um, uh, and the storage. Uh, schemas are important. Um, if you're just randomly creating schemas, it's going to be really hard for somebody like me to come in. And so like uh, the industry needs to, to get to a point where there's standard schemas around this so that, that we can mm -hmm. all talk the same language. Um, but uh, I think lastly, it's it's just, uh, you know, making sure that you're doing uh, an inventory of your data. I mean, everybody thinks they know where their data is, but it's it's not true. There's all sorts of super valuable data out there. Whether you call it a data catalog or productizing data, there's all sorts of terms out there. But you just have to know where it is and what the value of it is, too. And a lot, a lot of companies don't even know that. Yeah, Absolutely. What about over to you, Slavic? Uh, from a technology perspective, what are some thoughts, considerations that you put into, hey, if we're going to make this decision to build or buy our solution, we need to also think about what already exists in our environment. What are some of the philosophies that you have there? Right. So uh, most solutions don't work in a vacuum, right? You have like depending technologies, adjacent technologies, things that connect and so on. Going back to maybe the identity space, there's like established protocols, established, uh, you know, uh, standards. Uh, uh, there is uh, obviously, you know, protocols like Samuel and Scheme in OIDC and, and so on. You're talking now about passkeys and, and so on. So when you're building something that, you know, is in this space, you have to work with all of those technologies. And so this is why kind of thinking about this, uh, you, you, it, it's actually a big problem because a lot of solutions out there that you, you will use are actually using different technologies. You have one that uses SAML, the other is using OIDC, the third one is using something else, and you have to connect all of them together. And so uh, when you think about the solution, think about the broad aspect. And going back to the data topic before, 
uh, when you think about build versus buy, and I'm just going to connect it, make sure that if you buy a solution, you can liberate the data, right? You can actually take the data out and use it for whatever you need, uh, which comes with its own compl- uh, complications, right? So we have customers that uh, are global and have to have data in different regions and cannot even take it together because it's, you know, it, what's in the, the EU has to stay in the EU, what's in, the, you know, India has to stay in India and so on. So data residency is actually a really big problem, which I'm not seeing a lot of companies go and solve. And uh, this is another, I, I guess, like look for a solution that actually solves some of your compliance problems as well. And uh, data residency is like a big one uh, there. Absolutely. And I love what you're talking about, ensuring connectivity, because, I mean, whether you're building this solution or buying it, the integrations, the APIs, all of the ways in which it can access other data from other solutions is going to be paramount. And that leads me to believe that there's an additional skill, and we're going to get to people here in just a little bit, but there is an additional skill of making sure that you could understand other technologies, even if you're building your own from scratch. Uh, when we talk about processes, right, we always think, you know, technology is definitely a, a huge component to solving any type of problem. But if your processes are mess, there is no technology that's going to help solve that. So when you're thinking about processes internal to the company, whether you're talking about identity, whether you're talking about incident response, you're talking about DevOps, what are some of the 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 particulars around process that is so important when you're considering build versus buy. Let's start with you, Slavic. Uh, I guess just have an agreed upon framework in place. Look around at your peers and see what they are doing and consult with them. And then the process should actually include the kind of the biggest pieces, right? The evaluating the technology they need. Is it core to our business? How much it will cost? All of those things. And then make sure that the entire thing is somehow repeatable and automated, right? So mm-hmm. you, you have like a process to develop or build something. Make sure that, uh, uh, you know, uh, automate that. Make sure that you, it's, you can actually, uh, if you're building something, make sure that you can uh, deploy it in an automated way. You can manage it in an automated way. There's ways to ma- maintain it and you keep the entire thing uh, secure, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Rob, I saw you light up a little bit with that question. So I'm sure you have some, uh, some philosophies and, uh, and lessons learned there as well. Yeah, I mean, some of them, they're, they're probably going to sound kind of obvious, but yeah, nobody doesn't. A uh, long time ago, I used to work for a utility company, and, and we didn't have a lot of, I mean, our margins were really thin. And so small team, do more with less was just a way of life. And so I got asked to build something as a young engineer. Being a young engineer, I was like, this looks like fun. There was no mm-hmm. process to do documentation. There was no nothing. And five, seven years later, after I left, uh, another engineer calls me up, and he's just like, hey, man, we're replacing that code. Can you help us? Now, one, I was really proud of myself because, you know, this code was still running seven years later. But two, I was sitting there going, like, we didn't actually have a process to document anything. And so I think if you're going to go off and build that process of documentation, what you're building, and, and I mean, you're literally, you're not a, a product company. You're, you're a team, hopefully. Um, and if somebody's sitting in the basement writing stuff and it becomes critical to the business and then they leave, 
you're you're in trouble because mm-hmm. that has business impact, compliance impact, legal impact, security impact. And, and so I, you can make the best technical decisions in the world, but if nobody knows what's actually happening or what was done so that the next person coming in can ramp and then get up to speed, like you're just losing right out of the gate from not having that process in place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Process is so important. And honestly, when it comes to the that triad, that people process technology, honestly, I, I save people for last because I think that's one of the most important components to that, that triad is the people. Understanding what skills, what personalities, what passions people have on your team. If you don't have someone that's passionate about building this thing, it's going to be really difficult to build. And so you might want to just think about buying something. But if you have someone that's really, really passionate, sometimes it's a bit of a toss up because you are going to spend those engineering uh, resources to build something. But it could be useful because it could be a a building ground for someone's career. When you think about people, uh, Rob, you were talking a lot about movers, joiners, and leavers of organizations. When people leave, right, you might not have that talent inter- internal to your organization. So who's going to maintain that that product that you're building, right? We always talk about uh, pets versus cattle, right? Pets are the things that we have to maintain and groom. And then when somebody leaves, the thing you get is, oh, wait, what was this thing? Uh, I have no idea what this is, but it's wasting resources and taking up space. We need to get it out of here. But when you think about people, what are some of the tenants there from having the right skills, the right people in place to build a thing, but then also to maintain over time? What are some of the, the tenants there, Rob? Yeah, the, the, the people obviously are the biggest equation inside of all of this. Um, you have to understand the capabilities of your people. Uh, there, there's going to be opportunities where you, if you've hired right, that, that uh, buying actually makes more sense than building. And so uh, you have to also realize that uh, that the, the economy ebbs and flows and the opportunities in the market for people are going to ebb and flow. So people are going to come and they're going to leave based off what they're doing. I think you have to take into account that you're trying to make something successful. And if something is going to be successful, which everybody wants it to be, um, you might have limited upward mobility for that particular person. So they're going to be looking for opportunities elsewhere. So this kind of holistic look at, hey, when we build versus we buy, if I buy, um, I'm implementing a product and it's, it's got good documentation. The implementation details are super important. Make sure you document those. But if that person leaves, my ability to hire for that is probably pretty high. If I went and custom built it myself, hired a bunch of really smart people, let's say, for instance, and I'm not saying either you or I know anything about this, let's say we open sourced it and now we've got a bug up our butt about wanting to go start a company. You know, now you're going to have all sorts of you know challenges internally, and what usually happens in in in, uh, in my career, next person coming in the door wants to solve that problem too, but they didn't like the open source you selected, they didn't like the language that you selected, and so now there's a, a net new project. Uh, yeah, we don't know what the old team did, but they did it wrong or some other type of negative BS, and uh, you know then they're they're like we have to redo this whole thing from scratch, and you're just you know kind of perpetuating that cycle. And so from a people perspective, you got to notice these these patterns. Notice what your people are capable of. Just plan and celebrate when they leave because whatever it was that they did, they're leaving probably because you were successful or hopefully that they were successful. Um, know that, uh, that, that you know, know what the capabilities of your actual team is. And so when you're scoping things, scope it what the team capabilities are because they always think they can do more than what they actually are capable of um, from, from any perspective. Um, and, and then like, if it just doesn't make sense, uh, that should be a trigger for you. Um, if you're evaluating your people and they're not capable, go down the buy route, go buy that thing. It, it's less risky. 
I love that. What about you, Slavic? What do you think about when it comes to to people side of build versus buy? Yeah, I think what uh, Rob said is spot on, right? So evaluate your team, understand their capabilities, and then based on that, make a decision. Just uh, to add more color to that, I guess when you buy things, it does not mean necessarily you don't give your people the opportunity to kind of, you know, be successful with that. They gain a lot of experience with the tools that you buy and they can still deliver the required feature for what was, you know, a, a requested of them. And so you can actually make uh, th- those uh, people the heroes of the solution and they gain a lot of experience and they gain a lot of, uh, you know, motivation because eventually the, the you know, the bottom line, they actually deliver what was required of them. And it's almost not, you know, doesn't make any any difference if they buy or build or whatnot. Eventually, if it gets delivered and your customers enjoy it, then that's, you know, that's the bottom line. And so just letting them succeed. And I think as Rob mentioned, if you actually uh, kind of almost force them to build and then they leave, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and I've, I've seen that many times, this language discussion. Oh, they developed it in Java. It's so slow. Let's move to, you know, to something else, to Golang. And, oh, Go has like a lot of memory. Let's build it in Rust. And it's it's a never-ending discussion. You you just, uh, in, many, in many cases, you just end with this cycle of con- continuous rebuilding, which is like very painful. Both of you are on this journey of another company, right? You've both built other companies before. uh, And it's a little bit meta when it comes to build versus buy, because a lot of times when you start a company, it's because there's something missing in the space. There's something missing in the community. There's something missing in technology. You'd love to buy it. If you... If it was available, you'd buy it right now. But now you have to build it. But now you have to build something so that people, if they come to this problem, they know they have this problem that they're dealing with, they're going to lean towards buy because you have put the time, attention, the research, the development into Mm -hmm. building this thing that's of value for an organization. So let's start with you, Rob, uh, on the AKA identity front. Uh, What went into your decision logic with uh, AKA identity when it came to build versus buy? What was your your dance with that over the the evolution of AKA identity? Maybe like specifically when we interface with customers and kind of like what could we build mm-hmm. for them? Yeah, it's it's uh, in the identity space. I mean, it's because you know there, there's so many acronyms inside of it. Um, getting to the heart of the problem is super important to find white space in order to do something that they're not capable of. And so for, for us, really, it largely came down to there's this data everywhere across all these different systems, all these different formats. And so when you're talking with a customer, they know that there's value inside of that. And they don't want to build it. They don't. They don't have that capability. They don't have those smart data engineers and, and data analysts in order to get value from it. So, for me, it was a it was a no brainer. I think you hear from like uh, analyst organizations like Gartner right now, like they're telling a lot of uh, enterprises to go talk to these teams. Uh, I think we all know that those those conversations are going to be super fruitful, and nothing's going to come from it. And so, our ability to come in and essentially uh, uh, lower the bar uh, and abstract away some of that that technology and that complexity is what's going to attract them to buy us. It's going to be something where like, I can build a state management engine It's going to have a bunch of complexity, but all you want to be able to do is come in and for something that's proprietary to you as part of your company that I don't understand, I'm going to allow you to create your own state for that. 
And that's, you know, now you're getting into capabilities and features um, that like on one side of the house, we just, it's just, it's just common vernacular, but inside of the identity space, there's these capabilities that, uh, that they don't understand because they know authentication, they know groups, they know entitlements, they know roles. Right. And so what you're trying to do is, is meld two kind of capabilities together, but make it valuable enough to where that they don't want to do it themselves. Like you want the data lake, the security data lake. Cool. Let's talk about what, what, what our value is to that, because you're still not going to be able to go through and blend all this data together and normalize it and put it inside of there. So, so far as, as we've been going out and talking to the enterprises, it resonates with a lot of people or to a lot of the points of this whole conversation, they want somebody else to come in because they tried to build it themselves and, and it failed. And so those are some of our best design partners. There's only one customer that's so far to the right where it's just like every customer and it resonated with me being at Netflix with cloud. They're so far to the right. They're setting the example. They're, they're what I call the 1% customers. And you're trying to take what they did and productize what they did for the rest of the masses. But all the companies that, that end up trying to build in some, some, fashion or another um you know I, i'm coming in at the right time because there's been quite a lot of that and so the the scar tissue right now is still fresh you come in with this message of we can help you do these hard things that, that you can't hire for or won't hire for and we're good to go mm-hmm. love that what about you slavic obviously you've had a, a track record of being able to create things that don't exist and then find value for not only the individuals that are paying for it but just the compute the, the entire community right if you look at things like soar a lot of the 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 advents the the innovations that you've created in soar permeate beyond you know the customers of your product so when you're thinking about what you're doing now with dscope what what made this the the thing that you wanted to build and then how are you hoping that folks see the value in it and buy right so a so this is again based on my scar tissue from a demisto building this identity thing while that was not the core thing that we were building than uh, how painful it was and how hard it was. So I just want to productize this entire experience and just give it to other builders of companies uh, to just go and use it without thinking about all the different aspects of identity uh, that we mentioned before. So there's uh, security, scale, data residency, all the standards around it, multi-tenancy, there's so many things that you can kind of productize and make easy and then just, you know, uh, other companies can use. The other thing is that I always tell my family and friends is that I'm in the uh, uh, mental health uh, wellness business because we put the focus, if you can see on my shirt, we put the focus on the passwordless aspect of it. And so, as we all know, uh, passwords are probably not the best way to identify users because it's very hard for people to remember and have different passwords across uh, different services, but they kind of easy to to guess and and, and attack. And so, being, you know, father of four and, you know, large family where they always forgot their passwords and you have to reset and do stuff for for uh, for them. 
part of the reason of building this scope was, hey, can we just kill passwords altogether as a way to identify users and just use other things that are as strong and are way more convenient, like, you know, biometric, passkey, a magic link in many cases, like uh, TOTP, all, all of those things that are way more convenient and you don't forget them and, you know, are not a barrier for the user to, to go. So to me, building a dish scope was uh, two, two parts. A, it's a really hard, interesting problem that if we can solve well and solve and make it easy, then it's almost a no-brainer for others to buy. But B, if we can push the entire industry to move to a passwordless direction, I think the humanity will will benefit from that. So that that was kind of the you know the genesis story for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, gentlemen. I want to thank you so much for hopping on a live stream today, Slavic. I want to give you one more opportunity to talk about Dscope and everything that you're doing. Obviously, you enabled this conversation to happen. But what do you want this uh, captive audience to know about Dscope and what you're doing in that build and buy scenario? Yeah, Chris, you see, we're just spending the money that the VCs are giving us. So uh, happy to happy to support you guys and happy to to do that. Uh, for my uh, summary, uh, if you have a, any software, any product that you guys develop out there, look at the identity aspect and think long and hard. Are you willing to actually implement it yourself, support it over time, and support all the required features around it. It's the authentication, the authorization, all the standards around it, which are pretty hard, the multi-tenancy, the data residency, all of that. And if the answer is no, which for 99% of companies out there should be, don't build it, right? So just buy it. Uh, then take a look at what we uh, provide because we actually aim to support all developers across all types of apps in a very developer-friendly way. And also, obviously, our background is security. We've been, like the entire founding team has been in security for 20-something years. I don't want to date myself, but close to 30, right? So, so, Whatever, uh, like we built, we actually emphasize security there a lot, and so uh, you have you can have a peace of mind that the solutions that we provide are secure and been through many many sets of eyes and that reviewed them. So again, if you're building a any solution, look at this scope for the identity piece. Love it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And everyone that joined us today live, thank you so much for joining. Uh, you know, Everyone has such a busy schedule these days, but it really means the world to us to hang out. If you found value in this and you think someone else might find value in this as well, please feel free to share it with your network. Share it with somebody that you know is having that conundrum build versus buy and help them make that decision today with that. Thank you so much, everyone. And we will see you next time. 